you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Proverbs chapter 21. Part of our series in the book of Proverbs, we'll be looking at chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. Proverbs, as with all subjects, has much to say about the sluggard and sloth. This is just one typical passage, but we'll be looking at a whole bunch This will provide us some some foundation, though, as we look at the sluggard. Proverbs chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. This is the word of God. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we believe in your Holy Spirit. We rely upon him this morning, and we rely upon your word. Father, I pray this morning that your spirit and your word would cooperate in our midst to work in us what you would have us to understand, to help us as we strain towards the upward prize of the call that you have given us in Christ Jesus. Father, help us, for we need your help. Help me, for I need your help. Be with us and be faithful to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So there's this story I read on the internet one time, so it's about a 37% chance it's true. But it was an answer to the question, what's the laziest thing you've ever seen someone do? And this guy said he was on a Navy ship one time, and the commander of this particular vessel was not a morning person, came in at the beginning of, of his shift in the morning, had a bagel to eat, sat down in the officer's lounge, and the sun was in his eyes, and he's just, you know, trying to eat. And finally he gets up, goes to the phone, and he calls the bridge, and he calls in a change of course. And he sits back down, and the other guy's like, what what did he call a change of course in? And he feels the ship start to turn, and as he turns, he sees the sunlight that was in this commander's eyes slowly shifts along the wall, so it's no longer in his eyes. This commander had changed the entire course of the ship just so he didn't have to sit in the seat with the sunlight in his eyes. And in this sense, the lazy person, the sluggard, the slothful, can be kind of an easy target. Even Proverbs, we see, as we'll see in this book, is, is pretty harsh towards the slothful. It's pretty harsh towards the sluggard. But if we examine his characteristics closely, we'll start to see that we are all like the sluggard. We are all slothful in some ways, but we're particularly like him in that our desires, what we want, shape our pursuit of righteousness. Our desires shape our pursuit of righteousness. And this is particularly true of the, of the slothful. This is true of, of many people, but the slothful in particular, his desires shape his pursuit of righteousness. We see this in the character of sloth. 
We'll see it in the consequences of sloth, and then we'll, we'll look at what is the cure for sloth, the character, the consequences, and the cure. But first, what is the character of sloth? We see this in the, the Proverbs that we just read, that the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and he craves. We see that the, the slothful's problems come from these desires. These desires kill him. All day long he craves and he craves. The, the Hebrew is actually he desires with desire. He desires after desire. And we see that it happens all day. His whole life is characterized by this. It doesn't mean every single second of every single day he desires, but that his whole life, every aspect of it is characterized by what he wants. Sometimes we think of the slothful as just sitting on the couch and they don't want anything. That's what laziness is. But that's not the picture that's portrayed here. The slothful, it's not, it's not that they don't want anything. It's not that he has no desires. It's just that he doesn't want to do anything that he doesn't want to do. Anything that requires effort, anything that requires labor, anything that requires discomfort is just to be avoided. We see in this a worship of comfort, an idolatry of pleasure that leads to laziness, that leads to inaction, and that leads to faithlessness, not doing what is right, not doing what they are called to do, what is necessary. But we see a contrast here. The righteous, unlike the slothful and the sluggard, the righteous gives and does not hold back. This is a direct contrast. There's a reason these two are in the same proverb, because Proverbs is saying that, that, that being slothful isn't just a matter of practicality and maturity. It's a matter of morality. There is at the heart of sloth a moral sin issue. The righteous overflows and gives and does not hold back because he goes after God and he receives in abundance as a result. We see in Psalm chapter 37, this famous psalm that you've heard at least one verse from, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We see also later on in this psalm, the writer says, I have been young and now am old. He's saying, I've been around for a while, and this is what I've seen. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. And those two thoughts are connected, that, that the righteous who has delighted himself in the Lord and has been given the desires of his heart, those things of the Lord, he is not wanting and he's lending generously and his children even become a blessing. Why do you work? Why do you try? Why do you put forth effort? Is it just a sense of duty, of obligation? Is it a desire for greater gain? Is it a desire to serve others? Whatever it is, it is what you love. That's why you work. That's why you try. What would it be like if we lived lives? What would it be like if we raised our children not to do well and perform well and get a good job so that you can live a happy, comfortable life, but to do well and to work well and to, and to have a good job so that you can serve others, 
so that you can give generously to God because of your love for him? What would that look like? See, the righteous have this this inward-out focus. I have these things. What can I do with them for the Lord's sake? But the sluggard, the slothful, has this outward-in focus. What can I do to just get whatever I want to come my way without any effort? And he suffers, even to death, because of this self-centered desire. And there's a couple of passages in Proverbs that deal largely with the sluggard in particular. Perhaps the most famous is in chapter 6, where it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? See, unlike the ant, the sluggard, the slothful, needs constant outside prompting, constant outside pushing to do what is needed and to do what is important. Constantly has to be told, go and do this. This is what you need to do. But even in this passage, there's, there's this opportunity for reform. There's this opportunity for growth. It says, how long will you lie there? Go to the ant, consider her ways, and the result will be wisdom. You will be wise if you go and do these things. But in the question, we see the answer. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Derek Kidner in his commentary on Proverbs says, The sluggard does not commit himself to a refusal, but deceives himself by the smallness of surrenders. So by inches and minutes, his opportunity slips away. He deceives himself by the smallness of surrenders. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I have this bad habit of falling asleep in random places. I'll lay down on the couch, and I'll be, I'm just, I'm just going to lay here for a second. I'm not, I'm not going to take a nap. I'm just going to lay down for a second. Elizabeth's like, hey, you should get up. Go lay down. If you're going to take a nap, do it on purpose. I'm like, no, I'm not going to take a nap. And then an hour and a half later, I'm awoke, woken up because the kids are running around because I took a nap on accident. That's what's going on here. He's deceiving himself. Oh, I, I can deal with that later. Oh, that will happen eventually. And so he deceives himself by the smallness of surrenders. And the result we see is poverty and want, which ironically is not what he wants. He doesn't want to be poor. He doesn't want to to be hungry. This goes against his desire for comfort. But that will be the result. And just on a side note, I don't want you to think, see, the poor people are lazy. Because throughout the book of Proverbs, when it talks about the poor as a category, they are never related to the slothful and the sluggard. Yes, poverty is a result of sloth, but the poor are talked about much differently as those who have been had injustice done against them. But here we see the smallness of surrenders. Are there ways that you deceive yourself in small ways? I'll get to that later. That's not that important. Oh, it'll take care of itself. 
We see another large section we had as part of our confession of sin, this, this section in chapter 26 that talks about the sluggard and gives all these little illustrations of what he's like. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. This sounds ridiculous to you. It's supposed to be. It's not far and away outside the realm of possibility. There were lions in ancient Israel. It, it could happen, but it's really, really unlikely that there's a lion in the middle of the village. I want to go mow the lawn, but honey, there's a lion out there. Like, what are you, you going to do? Elsewhere, that it repeats this proverb and it adds on at the end that the sluggard says, I shall be killed in the streets, right? It's not just that he makes these excuses, but he starts to believe them himself. What excuses do we use to avoid what God is calling us to? It's just too difficult. That would just be so expensive. I don't have the time. It, doesn't, it just doesn't really feel right. It's not my responsibility. That, doing that just wouldn't really be true to myself. Or, or maybe I'll do my part once they do their part. In verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard in his bed. He's so closely tied to his leisure. He's identified with it. You can't have a door operate without its hinges, right? It turns with it. It turns with it. It's staying together at all times. So the sluggard is tied to his bed. He's identified with leisure and ease and comfort above all else. He's so lazy. And we see in verse 15 that he buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Even eating is just too much effort, right? It's not that he made a, a nice, uh, complete American breakfast, but he just made a bowl of cereal, and he's like, that's not worth it. Can't finish what he starts. My kids have this wonderful ability to, to absolutely obliterate a playroom with toys, just cover everything with toys. And then when asked to clean up, they'll go in, and I'll see if I can get the wine right because it, it comes from me. But they'll go and say, what do I even clean up? <laughs> Anything. It's all there. <laughs> clean it up. Right? Not finishing what they start. What are we unwilling to finish? The longer I'm a Christian and the longer I'm a pastor, the more I realize, and this is something you can only really learn, that perseverance is key to the Christian life. Patience and perseverance are, are some of the most underutilized Christian virtues. It requires perseverance to be faithful, to finish what has started in us. Jesus, we see in John 13, is described as loving his disciples to the end. Are we loving him to the end? And then in verse 16, we see the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer sensibly. This number seven meaning complete, like this, the perfect number of men who answer sensibly, he's wiser in his own eyes than they are. It's not just that he's slothful, but he's self-assured about it. He considers himself wise, and he persists in that way. He will not be convinced otherwise. As I've heard him describe, one pastor put it this way, he will not begin things, he will not finish things, and he will not face things. He will not begin things, 
finish things or face things. See, the slothful is only bothered to do what he wants. And he's only bothered by things that get in the way of that. This does not mean, as I've said, that he lacks love. He has much love for comfort. He has much love for himself. As we heard in Philippians, his God is his belly. Versus how we see true love described as bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, and enduring all things. And this, since the slothful, his desires are inconsistent and fractured and discordant and at war within himself. There's this really good book called Surfing for God that deals with the, the sexual struggle and how it, it really result, it's, it's a result of a deeper desire for something greater in God. And in it, the, the author talks about his own struggle. And when he went to his pastor, and he's like, I just, I don't want to be like this. And he's like, are, are you sure about that? Do you want to look at porn? Go, if you want to look at pornography, go, go look at it. And he's kind of taking, what? My pastor's saying this? He's like, but, but I, I don't want to do that. And he's like, that's the point. He's at war within himself. His desires are not aligned around God. Do we do what's necessary to fulfill what God is calling us to, to be faithful to His Word, or will we just wait until God's, God's calling and, and what it means to be faithful just happens to line up with our desires? And then we'll start pursuing it. When we talk about the slothful, when we talk about laziness, it can be easy to start to make a list in your mind, like, I know a few people that need to hear this. But it's hard to look at our own lives and ask these questions. Am I like this? When I was preparing for the sermon, I asked Elizabeth, and I asked, hey, can, are there some examples of laziness, lazy things that I do? And she laughed out loud in my face, <laughs> which is completely appropriate, if I'm being honest. Right? It's easy for us to see this in other people's lives. It's hard to see it in our own. And sloth manifests in different ways in different areas. You may think to yourself, well, I do my job well. I get up early, I exercise, I eat right. I'm not slothful. But there are different areas that we can neglect and we can be slothful. It's not just tied to our job. There's at least four areas that, that, that I could come up with. One is the practical, and this is what we typically think of when we think of sloth. We think of, oh, he's just a lazy slob who sits on the couch, doesn't do any work. He's just wholly identified with leisure. You think of that person like, he never does anything he does not want to do. Maybe you're watching on the live stream, and you're at home because you're afraid of the Delta variant, and you're concerned for the safety of your family, you're concerned for your job but maybe you're at home watching on the live stream because you got up a little late and you didn't prepare to come and meet with God's people. There's also intellectual sloth where we fail to pursue the truth because it's difficult or it's uncomfortable. Maybe that has to do with the efficacy of masks and vaccines. Maybe that has to do with what is happening with the LGBT issue in our culture. Maybe that has to do with politics that you disagree with. 
Maybe it has to do with your relationships. Where are you unwilling to pursue those thoughts, pursue the truth, because it's uncomfortable and it doesn't comport with what you want to be true? To be clear, I'm not saying you don't think about things. You're just a lazy thinker. Sometimes we think a lot about things, but we only do it in comfortable ways. We only pursue sources and opinions that we already agree with. We don't go and pursue them at all. We just let them come to us in our feed, come to us in our unbox. Whatever they say, I'll agree with that. There's also emotional sloth, where we don't do the relational work of trying to understand where the other person is coming from of trying to understand and empathize with others. Why do they feel that way? Can I feel that way for them? Or we don't even interrogate our own feelings. This is how I feel, and that is what it is. We don't ask ourselves, should I feel this way? How can I help that? How can I change those feelings? And there's also spiritual sloth. Do you pursue the things of God? Are you lazy and fighting sin? If you want one very simple, clear example, sign up for the discipleship program. Join and read God's word together with another. Plan to do it. Commit to do it. Follow through with it. So we see the character of the sloth as one who desires, craves and craves all day long. And as a result, his pursuit of righteousness is lacking. But what are the consequences of sloth? We've seen that his desire kills him, that poverty and want come upon him like a robber, but what else will happen to the slothful? In fifteen nineteen, it says, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Again, you see this contrast, not between the slothful and the diligent, but between the sluggard and the upright or the righteous. And we see that laziness is a moral failing. In Matthew chapter 25, as he's teaching a parable, the master in Jesus' story says to his servant, who was lazy, he says, you wicked and slothful servant. We see that the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, this difficult bit of shrubbery that it just it's hard to get through, right? The ancient Near East equivalent of a barbed wire fence, right? A, a hedge of thorns. And, and the idea is that it would have been easier to take a different path. But he's like, no, this is the path I'm going. And it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard, but this is the way I'm going. And it's contrasted with the, the upright who has a level highway, where has laziness led to more work for you? Where you avoid doing something and it comes back to be even more difficult than before. Because if we're being honest, since the Garden of Eden, work is hard. Work is arduous. But for the upright, it says there will be a level way. Not that there will be no difficulty, but as they're walking it, it's because they're following the good desire after God, and He will give them the desires of their heart. In 10.26, we see 
like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so the sluggard is to those who send them. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Maybe you've had interaction with someone and you've said, they're a real breath of fresh air. Well, the sluggard is a real gargle of Listerine, right? Just really, talking with him is a real gargle of Listerine. Or smoke to the eyes. No one says, you know, I love myself a good eyeful of smoke. So the sluggard is to those who send him. Those who work with him, who have to work with him, those who employ him, it's going to be downright painful and annoying for them. It's going to, his relationships are going to suffer. In 18.9, it says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. My brother and I look very similar, not identical, but very similar. And the first time we were around both of our kids, they're not like confused as to who their dad is, but they're with their dad and they're looking at the other one kind of suspect. They're like, you're really similar. That's the kind of image that's going in here. The slugger doesn't necessarily destroy directly, but sloth is destructive both to the slothful and to others. It destroys relationships as they erode and atrophy. It corrupts institutions as the the maintenance that is required to keep the church, to keep a place of employment, to keep the government running is not done. It increases others' burdens as they have to pick up the slack and it wears them down and slowly destroys them. Where has your laziness or your unwillingness to do what is required, been destructive. In 1915, it says that slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person, excuse me, an idle person will suffer hunger. Idleness casts into a deep sleep. This idea that, that sloth has a progressive, growing influence, a growing consequence as it, as it slowly lulls to sleep. You will be, whether you realize it or not, you will be growing in what you are doing. And we can see this easily in the physical world, right? If you ever get a callus, it's because it's been worked in the same place over and over again, and your body's like, okay, we're going to make that spot a little bit tougher. As you've ever grown in exercise and gotten better at running or better at lifting weights, it, it requires work, but it happens better and more easily as you do it more. Just the last week, we were, a few weeks ago, we were doing the work day, and we were clearing out the BMP over here. And as I was pushing the wheelbarrow, I found it a lot easier if I ran really fast towards one side and then went up over the hill instead of just trying to go for it right at the bottom because the momentum was already there. This happens both positively and negatively. Sanctification is an example of this progressive continuing in the same direction and growing in that way. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, Paul says we are all being transformed into the same image, that's the image of God, from one degree of glory to another, slowly growing in glory. In 13.4, we see that the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. See, the slothful is restless. He craves, but gets nothing. He's unsatisfied in his soul. But the diligent, not the workaholic, but the diligent, his soul gets what he needs and more. What does your soul crave, but isn't getting? Is it money? 
Is it love? Is it sex? Is it comfort or rest? Is it affirmation? Just someone to say, you are beautiful. You are capable. You are loved. Our needs are available if we are diligent in our pursuit of God. So what's the cure for sloth? The short answer is, do work, son. Do work. I almost titled the whole sermon that because the whole book of Proverbs is written from parents to a son, but it's, it's to do work. On one level, the cure for sloth is to go and do work. In 27.18, it says, Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. There's dignity in doing work. There's dignity in doing it well, whether it's a menial task like tending fruit or a more weighty, important, serious one like being a bodyguard for a master. There is dignity in that. Tim and Kathy Keller say that any work that is useful to others and done with excellence is deserving of honor. Any work that is useful to others and done with excellence is deserving of honor. Whether it's a high-level government position or being a pastor or cooking fries, any work that is useful to others and done with excellence is deserving of honor. Do we value all types of work? Do we look down on people with different skills or different jobs? Do we devalue our own work? What I have to do just doesn't offer anything to the world. So we are supposed to do work, yes, but as we've already seen, it's our desires that are at the heart. It's our desires that, that shape our pursuit of righteousness. So how do you go about changing your emotions How do you go about changing the way that you feel? And the simple answer is the same way they got to where they are now. Slowly, little by little, over time. See, we have this idea that emotions just kind of pop up here and there, but there is no emotion that you feel that does not have hours or days or weeks or months of years of background experience leading you to that point. And so if we want to change how we feel, we have to do the hard work the slow work of unwinding those things and reorienting ourselves towards God and His love. Just as we saw in chapter 6 that the slothful goes with a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. It's doing that in reverse as we slowly but surely change who we love and what we are pursuing. In the last month, I've eaten tzatziki, falafel, guacamole, uh, some other Mediterranean dishes, some andouille, and a salad on purpose, willfully. And you might think, okay, TJ, big deal. I'm glad you're an adult. But contrast that with the first meal I ever made Elizabeth, which was cooked on a George Foreman grill, and it was a plain chicken breast on a hamburger bun with Swiss cheese and chips, no sauce. And she looked at me and said, everything on this plate is white. How, how does that become what I am now? It's slowly but surely. <laughs> hey, TJ, try this. And it's having help. As Elizabeth is like, hey, we're going to try something a little bit different. And I'm like, oh, no. And now I'm willfully eating all these wonderful, delicious things and experiencing the joy thereof after slowly working to love these things genuinely. 
And so we need to start now, and we need to start small. There's all these different secular habit-forming practices. There's the couch to 5K program where you're like, you're just sitting on the couch, but you want to run a 5K, and it takes you little by little, step by step. There's this old book called Atomic Habits that talks about the power of these little, small habits. The secular world gets these things because the worst solution to fixing faithlessness now is faithlessness now, to continue doing nothing. Maybe you should ask someone close to you, maybe if you're brave, your spouse, and say, are there areas in my life where I'm being less disciplined? Are there areas in my life where I'm not being selfless? And then follow through with the answers. But ultimately, we can't do this completely on our own. From Philippians 3, which we heard earlier, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this, the resurrection from the dead that he's talking about that he has in Jesus, or am already perfect, but I press on. I press on. That's a a phrase of effort. I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And that is the, the core of this. We are supposed to pursue good. We are supposed to exert effort and do good things and try to make this righteousness and this holiness our own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made us his own. Because God has, has made us his, has made us his people, has made us his children. We are supposed to pursue after him and his things. See, we, especially in the Reformed tradition, put a really harsh line between justification by faith and sanctification. Sometimes we do it unconsciously, but, but we don't see that in Scripture. We see Paul, this just gigantic advocate for justification by faith, who is very derisive towards people who, who are willing to get in the way of that, who then goes on and says things like, work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure who goes on to say, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And he does that because Christ Jesus has made him his own. And so we can look to Jesus. As it says in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this whole chapter 11 that talks about all these people who lived faithfully, and and exerted a pursuit of righteousness in God. Because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, exerted effort himself, despising the shame, despising the uncomfortable situation that he was in, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so as we go to pursue, we need to look to Jesus, who was not lazy, but who overflowed, who was generous, who endured, and who suffered the death on a cross for our sake. And so we can look to him. I want to close 
with this quote from Thomas Brooks, a Puritan writer who wrote the book Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And towards the end, he writes this. Remember this, that your life is short, your duties many, your assistance great, and your reward sure. Therefore, faint not, hold on and hold up in ways of well-doing, and heaven shall make amends for all. That's my encouragement to you. Hold on and hold up in ways of well-doing, and heaven shall make amends for all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would remind us that our lives are short, our duties are many, but our assistance is great, and our reward is sure. Help us to run with endurance, the race that is set before us. Help us not to be characterized by our desires for things of this world, but our desires for your things. Help us to pursue after you, to grow and deepen our love for you, to delight ourselves in you, so that you will give us the desires of our heart. Do what we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.